0: Hello, Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the bleeding disorders community. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch.
1: And I am your other host and advocate and all the other things, Amy Bourne.
0: <laughs> nonprofit nerd, you can't leave it out.
1: I am a nonprofit nerd.
0: On today's show, Amy and I streaming live to Bloodstream Media's Facebook page. We will be discussing, has your chronic disease ever made you feel less than in your life? A topic of interest to me lately, a conversation yes. that we started online a couple a days ago yes. and something that we're excited to dive into. Yes. There's also a couple of headlines from articles recently that caught our attention. Females account for one in five mild hemophilia cases at U.S. centers. That definitely stood out as something recently published in Hemophilia News Today. One in five. We'll get into what that means mm. and why that's significant. And Syrians claim Syrians as in the country of Syria, Syria. people from it. Syrians.
1: Great clarification. Uh,
0: claim the first case of a girl born with both hemophilia A and C, the first Case only ten in history documented. Yes, all this is the first
1: males, is the first female,
0: <laughs> and then lastly the latest from Let's Talk our mental health segment featuring Joshua Sterling Bragg. We will present that a segment that also features clinical psychologist Emily Wheat a little bit later, and Emily and I will react to that. We've got all that and more coming up today. Thank you all for listening, for those joining us live, thank you for watching. You can support the Bloodstream podcast by the way, simply by subscribing. Just subscribing. That's all it takes and then you support the then Bloodstream you podcast. You're a supporter. You don't have to donate to us. There's no We're fundraising drive. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, (laughs) anywhere that you can subscribe to a podcast. Literally whatever is your thing. You can share our content on social media. The Bloodstream Podcast Facebook page is a great home base for all of our content. And that would just be a bonus. (laughs) In fact, you can do all of those things. You can rate, you can review. Review! And you can email us. What's that email address again, Amy? Great. This is the test. It's Bloodstream Media Mail... No. <gasps> ah, yes! Bloodstream
1: Media Mailbag? No. no. Nope. Mailbag at Bloodstream dot com.
0: Uh, third time's a charm. <laughs> mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com if there's a topic, guest, or something that you would like to hear us discuss more. And listeners, I would like to remind you that the Bloodstream podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. Yes, that's right. Takeda, <laughs> they've got this website, bleedingdisorders.com mm. And that's a place that you can go mm-hmm. to learn all about Takeda's resources for yes. and commitment to yes. the bleeding disorders community. Yes. You see, Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. Um for it. And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey you may be, and it is indeed a journey. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, grab a pen, though you shouldn't need it. That's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream podcast, as always, I would just like to say, Thanks, Thanks Takeda. Takeda. So, got a lot of topics. We got a lot so of many topics. segment. But before we get into all of that, as always, yeah. I want to start the show as I like to, yeah. which is, you know, it's funny. We are just talking about how busy we all are. I check in with you more here than I like know. in life. So, let's start that way. I Amy, know. hi. How are you? I'm
1: so good. And I'm very busy. It's it's a <laughs> nutso week here at Believe and Bloodstream Media. So many things going on. It's a
0: banana cakes week. <laughs> Natalie <laughs> and I are trying to bring back banana cakes.
1: <laughs> I respect that thank i you. respect it thank lot. you i actually uh, i'm gonna throw it back to you actually because okay. i wanted to like prep this a little bit because it's coming down the pipe and oh we're my- doing this nervous. tomorrow okay i wanted to discuss we had our, the flow ladies uh the oh, flow podcast uh which you know is about straight talk for Women Who Experience Extreme Periods. Holler. And And um, our next episode, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about you it. You are, I we can are, see them. <laughs> I, I, we're very excited about it. We have invited uh, Patrick Hello. and uh, two of our Believe Dudes, Joshua Sterling Bragg and Rob Bradford, both have been on the podcast, to have a discussion about periods.
0: Yeah, and I'm nervous about that.
1: The dude perspective.
0: I'm very, can I tell you something, uh, Bloodstream folks? I got a handout earlier today from- <laughs> Show producer and host Jessica Lauren Richmond shouts Mm -hmm. out to Jay Rich. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's the the, for the non menstruator assembly. I'm a part of the non menstruator (laughs) assembly. And there's a whole list of questions, including What do you already know and how do you know it about the anatomy of menstruation? I'm not gonna lie. I got to that question the first one and I stopped and I started to write things down in pencil. You can maybe see it if you're looking and I was like, I have to do homework, Amy. I gotta be honest. I I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by my inability to answer this sheet with anything close to literacy. I, I'm embarrassed. I have to go home and do homework because I'm not showing up on the show tomorrow as empty-minded as I currently am about oh menstruation God. and all related things. This is one of the most... It's a busy week, as you said. <laughs> Receiving this document earlier today has been the most stressful part of it for me.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And i know not I think just... about menstruation.
1: Oh, my God. Well, I I think... Uh, w- first of all, like we were giggling about it, we really don't want this to be gotcha journalism. Like we're not gonna be like, oh no, you got that wrong. We're, w- this is an inclusive environment. I think it speaks more to our society. I know this sounds ridiculous, but our society and our upbringing—like you don't know, right. and and we don't talk about it. And that's half of what we talk about on the show is like, even as women, we don't talk about it. Like I barely talk about it with my friends, yeah. and then at least here in in the Believe World, once we started Flow this podcast all of us started talking about it. So and which is fantastic. And we've, I mean, it's it's been kind of incredible of how it affects us, how it affects our relationships. And so we're so excited. We just think this is a conversation in the world of women's health, feminine health, menstrual cycle health that, you know, we just don't talk about. And so we're so excited. So it's going to be the net. It'll be the October episode of Flow. Please check it out. It'll Ooh,
0: be so nervous. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm so nervous. It's going to be so, I mean, I have to, do, if we didn't, if I don't do homework, it, there's going to be no content. I'm just not going to have any good contributions to make. I think your point's a good one. Like, what yeah. does that say about us more yes. broadly? But, you know, just individually, I'm like, oh, boy, I, I got to catch up quick here. <laughs> so that's coming up.
1: <laughs> anyway, psyched about that. It's going to be great.
0: Well, speaking of things coming up in October, mm-hmm. we're also going to have uh, Mill Forrest, host, producer, writer on The Pain podcast. Uh, season three. Season three. The trailer's out now. If mm-hmm. you are subscribed, good, well yeah. done. If not, come on. The pain podcast. <laughs> it's in all the same places as the Bloodstream Podcast. Pain, our show on pain, the experience pain. of chronic pain. And this season is looking specifically at the psychosocial elements that contribute to a person's experience of pain. So we spent a lot of time so far on the biology of pain. We spent a lot of time on patient experiences with pain. And now we want to kind of take a look at the cultural societal impact of the perception of pain and how pain's per the perception of pain influences the experience of pain. Sounds kind of convoluted, but it's actually super interesting if you're nerdy into the world of chronic pain. Yes, I mean, look, if someone who lives with great. a lot of chronic chronic I pain, know. I like hearing the different perspectives and hearing the way different yeah, people yeah. process what it means to live in pain, the different tools people have used. Yeah. Anyway, Mel's going to be on here on October 8th. So that'll mm-hmm. be the next episode after this one to talk about the pain podcast and chronic pain, things she learned from the BDC and so forth. And then one other thing happening on the next episode that I want to mention before yeah. you and I start chatting about Very uh, the impact of chronic disease and feeling less than Stop the bleeding! Little comedic web series going into its eleventh
1: season. Eleventh season.
0: I mean, at this point, we've surpassed that like that most shows. Your career. The thing that launched
2: my career.
0: <laughs> Way back in the day of 2012. <laughs> We're not going to talk about it right here. I did do a little bit of teasing yesterday. If you're a Twitter or Facebook user, you may have seen it because Family Guy pushed something out related to the COVID vaccine using their Family Guy animated world. And without giving you any other specifics, I just made some references to how there were some real similarities between what they were doing and Stop the Bleeding 2021. There's a lot more that's going to be coming. If you're following me or Amy or the Believe World on social media, you'll start seeing stuff for it a little bit sooner, but we'll be back here on Bloodstream talking about Stop the Bleeding on October 8th.
1: That was a good tease and it's like worthy of a good tease. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm very excited about it. All right, so
0: let's talk now about has chronic disease ever made you feel less than in your life. Uh, That's the title of our next discussion topic. And listeners, this portion of today's show is brought to you by Genentech. Genentech, they're a leader in the hemophilia community that's committed to advancing all aspects of life with hemophilia, starting with patient care. Genentech takes the safety of people with hemophilia A very seriously. Good. I like hearing that plainly spoken. (laughs) That's why they monitor all their treatments to create innovative and effective solutions for the community. Approved. To learn about Genentex treatments and how they may help, visit TreatHemophilia.com. Treat Hemophilia. Treat Hemophilia, another easy one.
1: TreatHemophilia.com.
0: TreatHemophilia.com. Easy to remember, don't
1: Domains are great.
0: So... Amy, yeah. uh, I've been catching up with some blood brothers recently, which has been nice. A couple chats, chats um, following, I think like following BDC and a little bit of activity. There's yeah. just like kind of an, an instinct and there were some phone calls around. So it's kind of fun. That's cool. Um, but one guy in particular, we were talking about this topic of feeling less than. And uh, I'm not going to mention, we'll call him Ralph. His name isn't Ralph, but we'll call him Ralph. Fictional Ralph.
1: <laughs> which, <laughs> let me just say, if there's a Ralph, I can't think of a Ralph. I don't Ralph know
0: a Ralph person. I know Ralph Cramden okay. from the Honeymooners.
1: Oh, that's not in the hemophilia community. Okay. Not that we know of. If if there's a Ralph listening in the hemophilia community, feel free. Like, let us know because we cannot think of a Ralph.
0: Mailbag at <laughs> Bloodstream Mailbag at
3: <Plexi-Media.com. laughs> <Come> on, <laughs>
0: Ralph. All right. So me and Ralph, we were talking. And <laughs> we were talking about these feelings of feel of being less than or feeling less than, feeling not good enough. Yeah. Professionally, personally, in all the roles. Feelings of like, oh, I'm gonna be found out for being not deserving, not worthy, not enough. And I know that these are not feelings exclusive to someone with a bleeding disorder. As I say, some of this like imposter syndrome, which is a term used in mental health world, like that comes to mind. But as he and I in particular were commiserating about the ways that growing up with a chronic blood disorder has contributed to now operating as full grown adult men with some pretty deep seated insecurities Mm -hmm. and worries, that got me thinking about this topic of feeling less than because of a chronic disease a bit more broadly. Mm. So I was, so the things that for me, like when I think back to childhood and to experiences with peers in school, extracurricular, Mm -hmm. there are so many examples of times where either because of something going on like a bleed or I'm recovering from a bleed uh, or it's a gym and it's something high contact I can't participate in, being treated differently or having to have modifications for me and some of them for for good reason. And then there are- And having that be public. And having that be public, yeah.
1: I think that's a different thing.
0: And then there's the perceptions too. And like the wondering about like, am I being judged for this? Or if I speak up about this thing, Mm -hmm. or if I suggest that like, oh, if I do pull-ups as part of the Mm -hmm. fitness test, like I have an elbow Mm -hmm. thing, I don't want to out myself. So I think for a very long time, I've operated from a place of feeling like it's not safe for me to admit if I need support, if I need help, because I could be judged, I could be ostracized. And as is, I'm feeling overly catered to in a number of environments as a young person mm-hmm. when I am telling a a coach or or a, or a gym teacher or have to go and stay after school so I have extra time for whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So there are all these experiences of feeling different, feeling less than. And I guess something I'm curious to know from you mm-hmm. You did not grow up with hemophilia or a chronic blood disorder, but do you relate to feelings like kind of persist, persistent or chronic or reoccurring feelings of of feeling less than? Does any of this resonate for you, or does it sound more foreign?
1: No, I think I think it's a very human thing, and I'd be shocked if there was a human on the planet that couldn't identify to feeling less than at some point in their life. I do think I, I could imagine that experiencing hemophilia in particular as a young man as a child when you are classified as being you know a like your your boyhood or your manhood is all classified in physicality and not being able to do those things or having to modify those things that is an extremely um defining Challenge to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was uh, not necessarily as a child because it wasn't public. It was just you know internal, you know normal stuff about you know not feeling normal or you know not uh, you know I was a redhead so I just felt weird. I-, I I wouldn't equate that to that. Mine came for the majority of my life. I have been single and I have not been able to. <laughs> <laughs> have a relationship. And I really, truly thought something was wrong with me for decades. Oh, interesting. And it clouded a lot of time, but it was like tw- my twenties and thirties were fairly excruciating because I, you know, this thing that you're supposed to do that I sh- wanted, I guess I couldn't even admit that I wanted, it was so painful that I didn't have. And I couldn't. wanted a
0: relationship. You mean? Yes. yeah. And I
1: just want, and you know, it got to the point where, you know, people around me, I think were kind of concerned. That kind of they were concerned and you know you just like feel the weight of that yeah so that's where my that's that's where my um darkest time came from in that period of my life
0: that's you know that's really interesting um so i posted about this on facebook and i had i had a feeling that people would respond but i put it was literally this question has your chronic disease ever made you feel less than in in your life Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of responses and i I've de-identified them, and I want to share a few. One in particular, mm-hmm. actually, you just reminded me of. Mm. Um, so this comes from somebody who responded to that post. Member of the the bleeding disorders community, I felt less than when I was seventeen when it was finally confirmed that I had HIV. So mm-hmm. someone from the contamination crisis. Mm-hmm. I had so many family members and friends from the hemophilia community try to convince me that no one outside of my family could or would ever love me in a romantic relationship. I internalized this message and realized now, as a 54-year-old still living with HIV, that this message significantly impacted many decisions in my life, sometimes for the good, but many for the worst. My parents went out and bought my grave plot and proceeded to share that with me. They and others told a romantic interest of mine that that person shouldn't bother and warned that person about what that person was getting into. I only learned of this in the last two years, and it devastates me even now, I also feel less than when I cannot participate in activities with my teenagers f- uh, fully because of joint damage. I feel like I'm making excuses to not fill in the blank, even though I'm racked with ankle pain. So talk about feeling as though not being worthy of a relationship or like something might be wrong to have your own parents.
1: And to feel the weight of someone else's fear. I mean, that was somebody else's fear being projected onto this person
0: there's someone else who shares about that too they mm. said to the question yes late in life diagnosis after years of being pushed to keep going now it's a struggle to keep going from damage yet the mm. expectations of others have increased tenfold in spite of the issues the expectations and constant pain increase the less than mindset something that somebody else is owning over there mm-hmm. is causing the individual to mm-hmm. feel less than mm. um I thought this was interesting, too. Actually, this came from a blood brother that a number of people responded to this comment. I think it resonated. Uh, So he said, generally, being told you can't do something contributed to this feeling. However, this was more impactful when I was in my youth. Thanks to good examples and mentors of those with hemophilia, it helped me to see a path forward and realize just because someone told me I couldn't do something didn't mean it was true, though I realized the intent was usually good to protect me, etc., and that's a sneaky piece too. Mm-hmm. Is people's good intentions yes. can sometimes be experienced on on this end yes. as yeah yes. imbuing their fear, their yes. whatever it is onto yes. me. Yes,
1: yes. And I should mention. I just want to mention that this was a dialogue and a conversation on Patrick's personal Facebook page, which is very open. You don't have to necessarily, I don't believe follow. I don't No, I don't think so. Uh, but anyway, feel free to friend Patrick. Um, he will, you know, he friends anybody in the, in the community, but I just wanted to mention that because it's such a rarity, um, to experience this type of, uh, community in a way. And, uh, if, if maybe you're feeling alone tonight or, uh, when you're listening, um, maybe head on over and, um, you know, join the community there on Patrick's page because it's a special place. It's a special place,
0: yeah. thanks for shouting that out. You know, there's all sorts of groups and stuff online. But if you're interested in this program and what we're discussing and how to contribute to this conversation, if you want to make sure we see something that you have to say, if you want to respond to the questions we prompt, yeah, I am pretty active there, kind of putting things out for people to respond to. And all sorts of conversations stem from it. Yeah. You know, people just start kind of going off on their own subthreads. and yeah, so feel free. Um, I want to read one more of these contributions that I imagine would relate to a number of others here and connects to the next thing that we're going to discuss. I never really felt less than as a mild hemo myself until I passed it on to my son. Mm. I wouldn't trade him for anything in this world, but when talking about having a child, I remember asking, you sure you want to try to have a child with me? I might not give you a non-hemophiliac. I was made to be my son's mom and I do it as best I can, but I didn't want to go into a parenting relationship without the dad knowing the hurdles we could face. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that opens up a whole nother important discussion point around, you know, when you disclose these kinds of things in the context of an intimate relationship, you want to set yourself, your future family, your partner, all of it up for success at the same time. I think we've talked about this on here before. I know back in my dating days, I couldn't get out of a first date and generally not even out of like the first 15 minutes without hemophilia coming up, yeah. it was just like impossible. And in retrospect, I'm like, I probably was a little bit intense within the first like 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, let's talk rare disease and grief and resilience. <laughs> and, grief. and striving. <laughs> right. be better. Blah. Like people are like, can we just talk about like the weather? And so yeah, in retrospect, I'm like, I think I know why some of those second dates didn't happen. I think I know now, but That's hey. Right. You know? All of
1: us, I mean, hemophilia or not, we've all been there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: But, you know, I I guess as a kind of a closing thought, we are going to now talk about mild hemophilia here in a moment. But I guess as a closing thought on this, from me anyway, it was really helpful to talk about this with Ralph. Shout out to Ralph. It's really helpful to talk about this with Ralph because it's, you know, it's funny. It's easier now on the podcast with you, even though that this is a public facing thing Mm -hmm. that we are recording Mm -hmm. live So it's not even like there's a chance to be like, hey, could you cut the part where (laughs) I revealed this? (laughs) Even though that's all true, it's easier right now for me to talk about times where I have felt less than than if you and I were just out in the common area being two people in the world. Um, It's it's, it's not an easy thing for me to discuss. And I feel sheepish about it at times. Mm -hmm. And in part because, you know, this perception thing, there's a lot of angles to it. it. I what's the word I'm looking for internalize Mm. a perception of myself Mm. that doesn't relate to the internal experience of me being me. And I think I've said this before and it's going to sound weird coming out of my mouth, but like, you know, as a guy who's six two and you know, with a a jawline, like people are like, Oh, you look, you look like you're doing all right. Like you're, you look good. Yeah. Great. I can't tell you how many times I have had someone say something like that to me like you look like you're doing well or you look huh. great or you know kind of dismiss if I was like yeah I've been having a little like you look great you look great you look great and it's like so what like right. well, who cares what I look like I'm right. like I'm not that's not my experience right. I'm glad that I can choose to be happy and choose to be positive even if I'm having pain and it's got me feeling anxious about whatever but I have realized there's like an actual impact of that kind of internalized perception. Mm. You know, people perceiving. It's not like I want to be seen as weak or se- like definitely not. Right. But there are times where like I'm perceived as being either stronger or more able,d or or like more capable. Or hemophilia isn't serious enough. Right. Like the, and it's other people's stuff. Yes. But I got to be honest, I I historically have a difficult time not internalizing that, and it makes it all the more difficult to share feelings of being feeling less than or insecure or, you know, not up for the task or like, oh, actually I do need help here. And that makes me less than.
1: Yeah. You know, I I, I guess how I just kind of want to close this comment as someone who doesn't uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, have hemophilia, I just want to say to you and to all of our listeners that I hope in a way you can feel, um, heard and validated in these feelings. And I desperately want you to know that, um, you do matter and everything that you're going through, it does matter. And we, we understand you here at bloodstream and we love you very much just as you are flaws Um, and pain and irritability and all.
0: And Tammy's point from earlier, there's, you know, a lot lot of these kinds of feelings that for us with hemophilia or VWD or or various chronic stuff might be exacerbated at a certain mm-hmm. time or compounded they're not and indivisible
1: Invis- and invisible invisible not indivisible. Yeah, not <laughs> invisible no. to the world yeah it's but art. they're not
0: unrelatable you know that yes. even p- people feel these things maybe not in the same way or as yeah. often or as chronically or whatever but they're yeah. not totally foreign feelings um and if you are someone who is who like there were a couple of people who shared and are clearly struggling at the moment yeah And there were other folks who jumped in to be like, Hey, you know, are you using resources and whatever else? Um, If you fall into that bucket, that's okay, too. You're allowed to struggle, you're allowed to be down, that's fine. Um, And if you're stepping forward to identify that in Mm -hmm. comment threads, that's actually a great sign. Just make sure that you're continuing to seek connections, seek opportunities for support. Don't let yourself get stuck in a place of not, not doing well or feeling you know, less than for too long, just it's, it's okay. But at the same time, just keep an eye on yourself. And that's a general word of advice to, okay. to friends and family out there. Yeah. All right. So two headlines I want to hit before we get into let's talk for the day mentioned it in the opening females account for one in five mild hemophilia cases at us centers, nearly one fifth of patients with mild hemophilia admitted to treatment centers in the, in the United States, are female, according to a large study of nearly 30,000 people. This is from Hemophilia News Today, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yet, women and girls make up a smaller proportion of patients with severe or moderate hemophilia, ranging from less than 0.5% to a little more than 1%. These findings, nevertheless, highlight the needs for specialized care based on disease severity, the researchers wrote. Amy Board, why... (laughs) does this matter
1: why does this matter well my ladies listening are like it so matters (laughs) it matters because for years and years and decades and decades and decades women have been classified as carriers and I think that's not just like how we say it in the community it's from a medical perspective and it's from like a a payer coding perspective so you will be labeled in the computer system of the world of the medical world as a carrier and who
0: cares why does that matter who
1: cares why does that matter because you can't get certain treatments because carriers aren't quote-unquote a patient with hemophilia. So you might have more trouble getting your clotting factor. You might have more trouble getting a treatment plan without um, pretty intense advocacy. So the um, trend nowadays is slowly starting to change how we diagnose women and to change that very specific naming diagnosis, which all my ladies at home are like, yeah, duh, everyone's excited about it. So if you are diagnosed with mild hemophilia, so many women who are carriers Mm -hmm. have those numbers. They are they legitimately fall into the mild hemophilia category. And so they should be treated as such. So it's a, it's a, it's a big, you know, kind of push and debate right now um, between uh, clinicians and payers.
0: And this bit of research, if you're someone who is struggling to get Either a, a comprehensive care visit, or treatment. to get factor mm-hmm. treatments so that you can have an upcoming surgery and and whatever or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. this kind of published research is the is the type of thing that can help your advocacy efforts. So I'd say if you, if you do fall into the category, Tammy's point mm-hmm. where you've been denied a medical claim of some kind because mm-hmm. you're a carrier, not a patient. If you know that you have some upcoming health needs where your needs as someone with mild hemophilia are important to address, like a surgery, something you need to prepare for, yep. I would say find this title: "Females Account for One in Five Mild Hemophilia Cases at U.S. Centers." Program notes, just use Google, um, save it, print it, talk to your local advocacy organization, make sure they're aware of it. Is there anything else they can do and provide you with resources to make your case to your insurance company or whomever the case or whom whoever the case? Needs to be made with maybe something right. like that. That it's, was almost a sentence. Amazing. More sentence. or less.
3: <laughs> amazing.
0: Um, because this does matter. It, it does. It, it's not just semantics. It does. It's not just some piece of like, you know, also ran journalism. This is saying that 20% of people with mild hemophilia are female. That's news. That's not something that is in the common vernacular. Correct. Um, and there's specificity that. While moderate and severe, still very small portion of the population, important, but very small portion of the population, 20% of mild patients is not a small portion of the population. That is a large subset of the population. And now we have some research to support those needs. So that is important, as is this. (laughs) Syrians claim first case of girl- with both hemophilia A and C, she just she needed to have it. <laughs> but she needed more. <laughs> she
1: needed more. One
0: wasn't enough. I Letters also are wonderful. I
1: think it's uh, the wording's interesting. They claim, like they claim. I, yeah. Okay. I,
0: I know. I'm just reading headlines. Yeah. This is not I editorializing know. It's at like, all. Yeah, it's, they get her. Yeah, everybody. It's like a luggage at a gate, the uh, baggage check. She's Louise. Um, so, just to read a little bit here from the article, a report describes for the first time, according to study authors, the case of a girl who has both hemophilia A and C. To date, only 10 such cases had been documented in medical literature. All male. All male. As an FYI, and this was pulled, I should admit, from Wikipedia, (laughs) which did cite Mm -hmm. actual published research, but it was like too many links. I was like, okay, if you want more, do more research. (laughs) But if you're asking, what is hemophilia C? So hemophilia C, that's factor 11 deficiency. It mainly occurs in Ashkenazi Jews, interestingly enough, and is believed to affect approximately 8% of that population. Less commonly, hemophilia C can be found in Jews of Iraqius ancestry and in Israeli Arabs. The condition has been described in other populations at around 1% of cases. So you can see quite a disparity between Ashkenazi Jews and then like larger populations. Mm. Uh, it is an autosomal recessive disorder. There is little spontaneous bleeding, but surgical procedures may cause excess blood loss and prophylaxis is required. Again, that summation is... Based on research, but in Wikipedia, not doctors, definitely do more research. Factor 11, um, in terms of like, what does it do? What what, what does its dysfunction actually mean for bleeding purposes? Mm-hmm. Factor 11 is what activates factor 9. Mm-hmm. So as we maybe know, factor 8 and factor 9 <laughs> work together. Hemophilia A is if you're missing factor 8. Hemophilia B is if you're missing factor 9. 8 and 9 work in tandem to activate factor 10. Mm-hmm. And that's important because factor 10 is responsible for activating thrombin. And thrombin is like the real workhorse gate. And without thrombin, the whole thing falls apart. So getting to activated thrombin is critical. Mm -hmm. 10 does that. 10 needs 8 and 9 to get itself activated. If 11's not activating 9, 8 has no running mate, and there's no 10 to activate. So that's where the chain can fall apart due to dysfunction in Factor 11, also known as hemophilia C. Natalie and I actually, back in the day, Rebecca Haber, she had and found out in her pregnancy that she had hemophilia C. So she came on, I caught, she came to our place. We were recording from home and she was, I mean, she was like eight months pregnant, the size of a small planet. Oh my God. Natalie and I were laughing about this back in the beginning of this year when she was at eight months. Like, Rebecca came to our house to do that podcast. She had to come up the stairs. Like, we were, We just had so much more appreciation for like, wow, that was really generous of (laughs) her and her husband to come and do all that with us. But to talk about what does it mean when you get diagnosed with something like hemophilia C, a rare genetic blood disorder, while you're pregnant. And like, whoa, okay, new thing to consider. Also, I'm pregnant. Also, this is absolutely going to bear out on my pregnancy. So she was working on how to get factor to the pregnancy. Like it was a whole, it became a thing. Right.
1: And I will say, NHF is doing phenomenal rare bleeding disorder work right now, and we were lucky enough to uh, be in the inside, if you will, Mm -hmm. for BDC numbers. And the numbers for rare bleeding disorders that showed up for that conference and that track were really um, impressive. They they were big. So um, hats off to NHF. And if you're watching and if you're a rare... Connect with us. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to hear your experience of what it's been like. I'm I'm sure you f- you might feel a little bit less than even within the hemophilia community because. Yeah. Uh- you know, it might be a little odd. So um anyway, we're just here for you. And I'm so glad that they're continuing to uh, reach out and do more education for those rare disorders. And
0: if there's some, yeah, and if there's something from all of those resources and education that's been particularly poignant for you as somebody yes! affected by a rare d- blood disorder, let us know. Share yes. that with us. Um, you know, there's all sorts of, we always talk about mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. <laughs> there's the Facebook page the instagram channel we also have a voice message option so if you go to the bloodstream podcast page or Patrick click the loves this option bit.ly slash all bloodstream <laughs> stuff link or the check out all our shows link in the program notes you'll see the leave a voice message yeah. and if you just want to like two minute dump, dump hey here's talk. my story and you're welcome to use it or yeah. not that's a great way you can do it too so lots of ways that you, you can don't get even in touch have with to us. write
1: you yeah. don't even have to write anything
0: you don't have to write that's
1: what we're moving towards you don't even have to t- d- d- to write anymore. Speaking of, (laughs) just
0: before we transition into our Let's Talk segment with Joshua Sterling Bragg, can I tell you, speaking of not having to write anymore, earlier today, I was editing something unrelated to the podcast that Josh was participating in, Yeah, and it was Josh's voice. Yes. It sounded so strange at times, and I had notes about, like, this sounds disconnected. Do we take, do we cut from, like, different takes of this same sentence? But they were, like, relatively simple sentences, so, like, what's, why is it that it's, like, you know, after I walk through the door, I close it. And you're like, what, 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 what what happened (laughs) in the last two words? (laughs) It's some automated program (gasps) that like you record a certain amount of things and then you type and it like does your voice saying that stuff, even though you never said it. So, oh, so they you were, thought
1: it was like an actual interview, like it was an actual thing.
0: It was presented to me for editing and it was like it was just placeholder audio of Josh's script with his like machine voice. So you gave notes. I was like, well, again, it was presented <laughs> to me for give notes and then I was like, that was a machine. And I was like, okay, well, then I'll wait till the human records are we using AI now what but it was it was very, very strange. So you're right. We don't even cool. have to, We don't have to write, we don't have to record we don't they're just, doing anything. everything is a deep fake.
1: yeah. in oh. three months you won't even see us. You guys are just gonna see placeholders. They'll just of, like
0: think about us and we'll show up in yeah, your head. we're
1: going to be a hologram. In
0: front of microphones. It's a nightmare. Hologram. That's a nightmare. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to move into the Let's Talk segment. On today's Let's Talk segment, film cinematographer and segment host Joshua Sterling Bragg, with his own voice and his own picture, <laughs> real him, highlights some of the barriers that prevent people from coming forward and talking about anxiety, stress, or whatever might be going on with them. Using stories from the Believe Limited film supported by Sanofi Genzyme, Let's Talk, Along with his own personal experiences and input from mental health professionals, Josh explores what causes barriers like these in the first place and offers up some ideas for what we can do about them. On today's segment, Josh shares a stunning personal experience and explores the role of a support person or a caregiver with contributions from hemophilia treatment center clinical psychologist, Dr. Emily Wheat. Let's Talk is a partnership between Bloodstream Media, Believe Limited and Sanofi Genzyme and aims to create an environment where we can have open, honest conversations about mental health and the bleeding disorders community. For people living with or caring for someone with a bleeding disorder, the impact on mental health is largely invisible and not often discussed. Let's Talk shares tips on how to care for your own or someone you loves mental health and strives to eliminate the stigma associated with this discussion within the bleeding disorders community. And now over to Josh for the latest let's talk
2: a few weeks ago i had the most intense mental health experience and had my wife not been there and had i not been able to identify what was going on i might have called an ambulance and gone to the hospital i had a panic attack in public and it was awful but i made it through let's talk Okay, so a few weeks ago, I was having a small vacation. Well, it it was really more of a staycation. And I was sitting outside at a restaurant with my wife when my hand started to shake. It was 102 degrees out because, you know, California. And we had ordered some hot food that had just come to the table. And as the waitress left and I was removing my mask, I noticed this tremor in my hand. You probably just need to eat some food, my wife said. And I nodded in agreement and started to eat. Well, a few moments later, I was feeling really hot. And even though it was 102 outside, we were in the shade and under mist coming out of a little bit of irrigation in the awning. Regardless, I got unreasonably sweaty. I took my hat off and sweat poured down onto my shoulders. My hand was shaking worse. And my wife said, just go splash some water on your face. So I put on my mask and I went to the bathroom and I walked in circles for a moment only to find that there was no sink. It was a shared sink in the hall. And I didn't want to be weird. So I just washed my hands and I went back to the table. My wife started to talk to me, but all I could hear was muffled sound. I I was dizzy and disoriented and full of water. I mean, I must have had three or four glasses at the table before this all happened. I'm a big fan of hydration. And Courtney had gotten the check and said, forget about the food, let's just get you home, and started to walk me to the car. And I was really embarrassed that this was happening and ashamed that I had ruined lunch. And as we walked... I started hyperventilating and my vision started to darken around the edges, and I became dizzy and emotional. In fact, I started sobbing at the crosswalk. And once it started, it just kept coming. The tears, the hyperventilating, the tunnel vision, the dizziness, the shame all piling on top of me. I just wanted to lie down right where I was and curl up in a ball. But my wife helped me focus and got me to the car and blasted my face with air conditioning. And as I felt the cool air, Blowing on my face, I remembered something my therapist said. That there have been studies, and without a doubt, actual feelings tend to pass within 90 seconds. And if I could just get to 90 seconds without fanning the flames, I'd be okay. And I was. I was okay. The moment passed, and I got control of my thinking, and... Well, then we went to Target and looked at Halloween decorations. That was my first real panic attack. It was really intense and scary and completely out of left field. I feel very lucky to have had my partner there to guide me and a couple of weeks of therapy under my belt to give me some tools to get through that moment. My wife and I were able to identify what was going on because the symptoms of my mental health were on the surface. But there are struggles that are just as intense that creep in much more slowly. Listen to this clip from our documentary, Let's Talk Mental Health, where Dana and Esther talk about an example of what that might look like.
4: Women with bleeding disorders have different challenges because of the genetics of hemophilia and the recessive gene and mom passes it to her son. Um, it's, It's very common. And I think mothers maybe talk to each other, but often suffer in silence with this too, but it's common for them to feel guilty that they passed this problem along to their kid. There's nothing that can be done about it if you wanna have a child, that's a flip of a coin and it's a chance that it's gonna happen, but that didn't matter. When their kid was suffering and they're taking them to the emergency room in the middle of the night, uh, all that logic goes out the window and you do what you gotta do, but you feel horrible that your kid's suffering in pain because of a genetic condition you carried in your body and passed along to him or her. Get it just when it goes in. It's
3: gonna hurt a little bit. But then it, it, it won't it will. Just a little bit. I felt guilt. This is not passed down to a son from a father, it's passed down from a mother. So it was all on me Um, and I knew that. I said, I want proof, I want to know. (laughs) Do I have it? Am I carrier of this? Should I know? Is it in my family's bloodline? How did I not know this? Why didn't I do more tests before to know that I could carry this? So we had blood, the blood work done and um, I am not a carrier. It's a spontaneous uh, mutation uh, in Joaquin, so he's the first in our family. Culturally, being um, of Mexican descent, um, we hold a lot of things in. We don't speak of any issues because um, we're, I don't even know how to say it in English exactly. We're chismosos. One person tells the story and it just snowballs into a bigger story. So if you can control the narrative by not saying anything, you don't give them anything to snowball into something great. I've even told my daughters. And and now I realize that's my cultural baggage of me saying, don't tell all your friends there's no reason to tell them and i did tell them that when they were 10 and 11 years old um, but i was taking away a little bit of their healing process you reach out to friends and you tell them what's up because you need support i took it away from them but it, it was part of my baggage of we didn't we don't talk about those things you know? we we just didn't grow up where you tell everybody your, problem, your household problems, you just don't. And now we're, we're sort of easing up on that and saying, it's your story.
2: There are no rules for what mental health strain looks like and none of us can read minds. Without communication, we have no way of knowing what kind of stress we might be putting on others. And likewise, our partners, friends, or family might not be able to see the stress that we're putting on ourselves. We have to not only talk to each other, but listen intently. But how does one go about handling someone else's mental health strain? Well, here's what a clinical psychologist had to say about it.
1: We're here with Emily Wheat, clinical psychologist at the University of Colorado HTC. And Emily, what role should a loved one play in the mental health of another? I think it's really important that a loved one works to support their partner, or significant other, child when it comes to a mental health concern, but also to know that they don't have to own that concern. I think it's also important to know that if, when you're supporting a loved one who may have some some sort of mental health concern that they're managing that you know, you may be asked to make some changes too. And so um, kind of figuring out how to strike that balance is really important.
2: Striking a balance, compromising, hearing each other and making some changes. These are not easy things to do. It takes work and sacrifice and a lot of communication. When I look back on my panic attack, I see that Courtney really put me first in that moment. She helped me to communicate, to identify the symptoms of my situation, and to find a resolution, but she didn't take on my stress or anxiety. I was feeling shame about ruining a nice lunch during vacation while she was focusing on the passing moment of emotional overload in her partner and didn't care about the food or being in public. She just cared about me. And at the end of the day, that was the best thing for both of us. I hope this was helpful and encouraging. Talking can be really healing. Thank you, Emily, and thank you, Amy and Patrick for having me on to talk and explore these topics. If you want access to some incredible mental health resources, you wanna explore the film on your own, or you just wanna dig deeper, please go to check out letstalkmh.com and click resources. I'll see you on the next episode.
0: Thank you, Josh. Thank you to Dr. Emily Wheat. Shout out to Esther for that latest from the Let's Talk podcast segment. The few things there that I'd love to just touch on with you, Amy. Mm -hmm. um, One of the things that really stood out to me, and I'm sure it's influenced by what we discussed earlier with feeling less than, but when Esther gets into her story about controlling the narrative Mm -hmm. with her children Mm -hmm. and not encouraging them not to share about their bleeding disorder, not to make themselves targets. Um, But then refers like, that's my cultural baggage. It really resonated from, and I've seen that clip plenty of times and seen that, but it really resonated with me thinking about feeling less than because similar that idea of like controlling the narrative, it comes from that same kind of place. I don't want to be found out. I don't want to reveal this truth. I don't want to be seen for this yeah. thing that is true about me. Yeah. Because if I am, I could become a target. It could be used against me. I won't be safe. So I'm going to try to control the narrative to make sure that that doesn't happen it's like hard to argue with that just writ large because life is unfair and people can be unkind and school children can be unkind and humans can be unkind. And so the instinct to want to protect not only yourself, but of course your children makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciate the the evolution of Esther's thought and the way she articulates it in the mm-hmm. film, how like over time realizing, oh, it's their it, it's ultimately their choice about how they want to, live with this part of their story if they want it to be something that is out in front or more accessible that's okay that's okay too i need to get over that like that's actually okay for them right but i i totally you know not even as a parent just like controlling the narrative because it's not safe if i don't that really resonated with me.
1: I agree. You know, I think it kind of that controlling the narrative can also not only from a caregiver perspective, but also from like an individual perspective of like, I'm going to try to manage these feelings and these sensations that I'm having inside in order to like be normal or to, you know, appear that I am not less than I think is like a, a very significant piece of like that mental, emotional, psychosocial health. Like it's, It's it's almost um, detrimental to the work of, like, trying to manage through that rather than just being comfortable enough to accept, like, this is is what it is. Um, Rob says that to me all the time, Uh, actually, like, can, you know, when I get worked up and, you know, is it okay to, you know, be as you are right in this moment? Mm -hmm. You know, just Mm -hmm. kind of like an invitation of, like, well... Mm. <laughs> this is you know it's not great right now is it okay to do that
0: right is it is it okay for it to be not great i i, right. I have a similar kind of thing i do with myself around am I, is it okay to not be comfortable right now right. Am I okay not being comfortable oh i'm not comfortable right is that okay right oh i'm stressed is that okay right you know and i've actually found for <laughs> you and i have a larger discussion on anxiety to have in the not too distant future my friend yeah. but for the time being <laughs> i will say i have found that I made a change in medication not long ago. And what I've noticed now, a couple months into this this change, is that it's easier for me to accept when I'm stressed or overwhelmed or feeling a little less than Mm -hmm. without it then being exacerbated by anxiety or anxious thoughts and feelings about the stress or about the less than, which then compound off each other and just start this whole chaotic mess in my head. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that my... The 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 track I'm currently on. Oh, I'm still I'm still noticing I experience stress in these ways, and I experience this in this way. But there's like not this other element that then kicks in. I think the medication, while serving me well in some areas, one of the side effects was increased anxiety. And I'd stop taking the medication. I may as well just say that as part of what I'm sharing here. And what I've realized is, like, oh shoot, that was raising my anxiousness more than I realized, and that was for years.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. So it's it's a bigger topic, um, and I've I've continually been checking in about, am I mad about this? I don't think I'm mad about this, and I'm not mad about it. I don't think. But stopping this and then feeling like, wow, for years, levels of anxiety I've been dealing with have now pretty clearly, irrefutably been influenced by this medication that was serving some other mental needs. But yeah. like, dang, that was kind of intense.
1: Wow! And it's been
0: such a relief to be like, oh, I don't have to feel that way. Yes. And I can feel stressed and I can feel tired and I can right. feel this. And it doesn't then it's also like become that. this like rocket ship out yes. of the top of my head and kind of a big deal. And I was real slow to want to stop taking this stuff, too, because it was working for depression. Right. If, you know, here we go, everybody, because we're getting into it. So the treatment, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the treatment for depression yes. has a side effect of anxiety. And it's like, well, shoot, I'm kind of I got a little bit of both going on here. What are the Dang for it. me? This is how it played out. I needed the depression thing, but it exacerbated my anxiety. Oh, and now that yeah. I've phased off of it, I'm like, you know what? I seem to have stabilized a bit in this other area and I have different tools and have some things through. And that anxiety piece has reduced a whole lot since I stopped. So that's wow. where I am.
1: Uh, just to bring up what we said in the beginning to tie it all back together we talk a lot but we haven't talked about that
0: <laughs> we have not talked about that that is true
1: i will say i'm just gonna say this because i think this is uh, a little important for me personally because we're all in this thing together i've been thinking <laughs> about it for a while but at some point today is not the day but at some point uh, it's important for me i think to share um my anxiety struggle with you as a community member it's been it's been a thing and and it's important and it's just important to talk about it and to normalize it, it and segue me a long time and so so that that day will come and i've thought a lot about it you know i was gonna write like a social media post or a blog or something maybe i'll do that but i don't know out of respect and just uh fellow i think friendships here in this community i think i will share it with you guys first so more to come on that
0: nice i'm, yeah. uh, I'm excited about that yeah. i also appreciate the like respect for the community that you're well that you just explicitly stated in there like wanting to kind of
1: well y'all make me feel safe (laughs) i don't know if y'all feel safe with y'all but like it's just kind of nice y'all are great i've been i've been with you guys for decades now i don't know so i don't know let me know if that's not true
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right well good we'll uh we'll figure out when the right time is for that so thanks again to josh dr wheat and esther And to Santa Fe Genzyme for the partnership on Let's Talk. Again, the goal there is that we're trying to eliminate the stigma that's associated with open conversations about anxiety, depression, being overwhelmed, panic attacks, the whole kit and caboodle. If you like this kind of material, there is an entire page of the Bloodstream Podcast's website dedicated to the Let's Talk segment. So if you go to bloodstreammedia.com, go to the Bloodstream Podcast, and you will see the giant tab for the Let's Talk segment with all of Josh's Let's Talk-led segments, uh, or the Josh-led Let's Talk segments. That probably would have been a better way to say it, but hey, we live. (laughs) No editing. So we're going to be back again on the 8th of October. Mel will be here to talk about pain, chronic pain pod. Might be another guest. There's some other topics. We're still figuring things out. We got a little bit of time, but in the meantime, I want to say again, thank you to Sanofi Genzyme. Thanks as well to our presenting sponsor, Takeda, bleeding disorders.com for wherever on your journey, you may be. And thanks to our segment sponsor Genentech. Visit treathemophilia.com today to learn more. And with that, That is all for this episode. That's
1: going to be about it. Make sure to check out the program notes in your podcast player or on bloodstreammedia.com for the links related to all the stories and segments that you heard today. And there were a couple of links, so make sure to check that out. Important links. Um, If you will. Um, And if you'd like to connect with us, we talk about it all the time, about anything, ideas, casting opportunities, anything, please email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or connect with us on social media because we're everywhere on social media. You'll find You'll find us on Facebook and Instagram or Twitter. You can follow me or Patrick. Please follow Patrick on Facebook. Like, don't be a dummy. <laughs> also, you can follow Patrick on LinkedIn. And I think someone is going to uh, refresh my LinkedIn page.
0: Guys, we've been on this journey together. It was real hard in the beginning. We all remember the resistance. I'm going to get a super cut of Amy's LinkedIn journey, wherever on her journey she may be. That's what I'm going to get. Takeda, wherever on your bleeding disorders journey you may be. (laughs) Patrick James Lynch, wherever on your LinkedIn journey you may be. Mm. Okay, so we'll get that for next time. And until that next time, I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch.
1: And I'm your other host, Amy Borg.
0: Back again October 8th. Don't forget, subscribe wherever you listen, leave reviews, share the show. Until the 8th, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye-bye, everybody.